Welcome to Five Start Weekly. A great result for it landing at an undecision day sees us finish second. But did we reveal too much to the New England Revolution before our playoff game? We discuss all that and more coming up. Welcome to the show, Five Start Fam. I'm AJ. This is Tanner McLeod. And wherever it is you get your pods, subscribe, share, and leave us a good rating. Stay tuned for the winner of the 100th episode giveaway. But first, let's thank our sponsor. This segment is sponsored by Mojitos Bistro. Mojitos at the Forum, where you can find a slice of Miami and Havana right here in Atlanta. They offer Cuban cuisine made with recipes from their mom's cookbook. For more on the awesomeness at Mojitos, check our description box below. So guys, it was a 3-1 win against the New England Revolution on Sunday, but maybe the score flattered us a little bit uh, because, yeah, there were a lot of shots in this game, and they really, on a better day, if they finished their chances uh, better, they, you know, it could have been a lot different. But uh, I think we, at least, uh, we took care of the business. We uh, we were definitely more clinical. And um, yeah, I mean, Julian Gressel, he had a hell of a day. Yeah, absolutely. Julian Gressel and Joseph Martinez, two weeks after we all thought he might be done for the season, getting a goal as well. But yeah, it was a 3-1 result for the five stripes. But Kind of like you said, and as was pointed out by, I believe, just both Josh Bagaransky and Joe Patrick on Twitter, Atlanta United actually lost the XG battle at home, which is really weird. That doesn't happen too often with Atlanta United. New England did create a lot of chances. They had 18 shots to Atlanta United's 20, but they only managed to put four on target. Mm -hmm. And there's a, goal, there's a goal and a chance we'll get into in a little bit, but like you said, if they had been more clinical, it might have been a different result for Atlanta United and a little bit of a warning shot mm -hmm. to the team before that playoff matchup. Right, because they, I think, obviously had found some weaknesses within uh, our setup and our just our defensive scheme. And uh, they found some holes behind Gressel and Escobar and a little bit on the left side as well with LGP if he... Uh, goes up to challenge and then it just leaves a big old hole behind uh, because Justin Miram, yeah, I mean, you know, there's definitely, I think, space to exploit. Uh, so pretty much the wings and then a little bit centrally as well. They got a lucky bounce for their goal. Um, that's just, you know, kind of stuff that, that happens maybe within our setup if, uh, if we're not all compact and on the same page. But, uh, you know, at least in terms of, uh, you know, going through kind of the timeline, very early on, they get a chance. And yeah, Christian Panini almost gets to put it away. Um, you know, uh, Goose save, that's quite incredible, actually. Very uh, good goalkeeping, coming out one-on-one, -on -one, making himself big, making Panini think, making a save, and then forcing him wide to allow his defenders to come back and back him up. Right, and uh, so yeah, Panini, yeah, shoots it wide. It's, uh, I mean, I think that's good defending and goalkeeping there. But uh, yeah, and then we quickly kind of uh, maybe a little bit against the, the run of play in a, in a sense. Uh, but you know, for our goal, yeah, I mean, Heinemann finds Joseph, Joseph finds Gressel, and Gressel, he's crossing into the box on the floor, and Darlington Nagri slips in right ahead of Joseph Martinez and uh, puts it in the back of the net. And uh, yeah, a great goal and great to see Dante Nagby get in the score sheet because it's one of those things that's pretty rare. It's a collector's item. He's yeah. only got two and that was the second one. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think it's one of those type of goals where Dante Nagby, if he has time to think in the box, it just usually doesn't end well. But, you know, this was more of an instinct type of goal and he just slipped in there. Um, yeah, that's what you, you want to see from Dante Nagby because, yeah, I think he is a guy that... Uh, in the playoffs, he's not an expected goal scorer. So, you know, I think that kind of almost third man run that he made, that's very, very vital, I think, for uh, us going forward. But uh, yeah, and then, you know, going through uh, to the next part, I think uh, we're gonna go ahead and get into the breakdown. We're bringing this back. Uh, so it starts with a very simple ball over the top and a lucky bounce and Christian Pena is in and Goose, he comes out quickly like before, but Christian Pena knows what to do with this one this time and uh, slots it in behind him. But uh, it's one of those things where I think, uh, you know, if we're easily beat like this in the playoffs with a ball over the top that just bypasses our forward line, our midfield, and pretty much, uh, you know, catches out a Franco Escobar like that, that's, it just doesn't bode well. We need that kind of uh, solidity to make sure that we win those balls uh, over the top because it's, I mean, 
Like, well, it's, it's schoolboy. I think I think yeah, that's one exactly. of the one of the ways that you could look at something that's schoolboy defending. It's off a simple throw in, mm -hmm. and a player just hoofs the ball along. I would expect 10 out of 10 times for Franco Escobar to attack that ball aggressively and win it in the air. He hesitates, he doesn't go after it. Because of that, it kind of jumps up on him in a way. He misses a touch and then it goes through. Julian Gressel, as he's wont to do, is pressed higher forward as a wing back. Because of that, he's now chasing the play and Pena is breaking into space. And that's something that is simple. That should not happen. No professional team, especially one of Atlanta United's caliber, should be undone by as simple a pass as that. It's, it's basically root one. It's root one. It's a root one hoof up. and pray, and somehow everyone on your defense managed to get beat by that ball. Right. And it's unacceptable, but they'll probably be going over that. You know they'll be going over that in training and in the video sessions leading up to the rematch in, in two weeks' time, knowing full well that that cannot happen right. again. Because if it does, that's damning on both the coaching staff and the players involved as well. But I think they, they knew that going in, that hoofing it long and then in that area, basically behind Gressel and Franco Escobar, that's the area to exploit. And uh, that's really where it's most worrying and damning, agreed. And uh, and then the, the second minute chance, that's really where uh, there was that other, like it was this simple through ball. Uh, the danger was there from early on yeah. because of this chance that we're going to go over right now. Mm -hmm. And it was just a simple through ball, like you said, where the players, they're not holding their line the way they should. Julian Gressel attempts to step and play Pania offside, but when he does that, he's too late. The ball's already been played, now he's chasing. Thankfully, there was good defending, but again, this is simple stuff that should not be allowed to happen. Right, LGP is caught up to see, and then Larry isn't anywhere near it, and uh, it really takes a really brilliant, like just a, intervention by Brad Guzan to kind of thwart this chance. And so this is kind of where uh, it's kind of the crux of, you know, the kind of chances that they got. Uh, pretty simple, direct play from New England, and they nearly had quite a few chances. Uh, and like we said earlier, if they were more clinical, it really would have been a different result. So, um, yeah. and. You know, it's not a it's not a foreign tactic though it's to not. see against a team like Atlanta United or a team that likes to possess the ball. I spoke about it, I, I believe in my fan cam this past Sunday, or at least maybe I spoke about it before. But if you watch the Premier League, you noted that Wolverhampton defeated Manchester City 2-0 at the Etihad. That's the first time Manchester City had lost without scoring at home in, in well almost three years, two and a half years since funny enough Man United beat them 1-0 and Marcus Rashford sent Martin De Michaelis into retirement. But that was when we were halfway decent. Anyway. I digress. Point being, teams will see that you're pushing numbers forward when you have fullbacks or wingbacks that play aggressive and center backs that are susceptible in one-on-one -on -one situations. Nicholas Otamendi and LGP have a lot in common, where they'll make a bit of a rash challenge or feel the need to go to ground. Franco Escobar, same way, where he'll go into a challenge and maybe he can just stand the defender up. Right. If teams leave players who are fast and quick, high and wide, there is spaces for them to exploit. And with Atlanta, especially with the impetus of playing at home and being expected to attack and score goals, teams will look for that space in behind. And if Atlanta United doesn't keep their positional discipline and makes rash decision-making, they will get punished for it. Yeah, and you can't expect a Miles Robinson to bail you out every single time on that one-on-one, -on -one, and especially when they do play out to the right or left center back, and that's really where uh, teams are looking to uh, try to beat us. And uh, at times this season, that's really where they have. And really, I mean, we got beaten 12 times this season. I mean, that's... It was an obvious tactic in the 3-5-2, so. Well, and I think the, the thing you can say about that, and Michael Parker's just talked about how good Miles Robinson is as a one-on-one -on -one defender, one of the best he's actually seen. It's the complete opposite for Franco Escobar and LGP, I think. They're more athletic players. They're they're very skilled on the ball. They like to be involved in the play, but when it comes to one-on-one, -on -one, they're a bit more rash. They they make sometimes, they, they use their athleticism to make up for their mistakes, whereas Miles Robinson has developed into clearly a very cerebral positional player who can use his athletic talents to help make up for any mistakes he makes, but also uses his brain to prevent them from happening. Right. And I think one-on-one -on -one teams know he's not the guy to target. Target the two guys that are most likely gonna be out of position. Right. So. And so, yeah, and in that sense, uh, at times they were overloading us on the wings as well, making Julian Gressel defend. Uh, and so that's something that uh, will have to be rectified as well. I think that we adjusted to it later on in the game, but I think early on they definitely found some joy in that. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it will be where, I think Franco Escobar will have to be a little bit more disciplined, not 
uh, just kind of uh, take a risk every single, uh, you know, every other play and, and things like that. And so, um, but I think moving on to the really good things that happened in this match, Julian Gressel, like we were saying, with the two assists, uh, I mean, that, for the second goal, that ball from deep, uh, from the right wing back position for Gressel, or for Joseph Martinez, my God, the bend on that. It perfect. Was just, it was perfect. Yeah, inch perfect to where Joseph Martinez needed to be, where he loves it. The connection, obviously, is there. I mean, it's prolific, their connection. But um, As soon as Joseph got it, I was watching the match with uh, Roberto Rojas, and before Joseph even put the ball in the back of the net, I was, I was going 2-1. It's 2-1. Yeah. Just, you just knew it. When Joseph gets the ball in that much space on a ball over the top, and he has the keeper one-on-one -on -one like that, it's just, you knew it. I, I knew it. I'm pretty sure I wasn't the only one that felt that way when he got the ball. It's like, this is 2-1. You just knew it was going to hit the back of the net. Right. Especially him having been injured and missing time, you knew he was going to hit that ball with anger and venom saying, no, you're going to go to your home. I'm back. I'm the king here. And yeah. then he scores that goal, but I think the best part of the goal had to be the celebration. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, Joseph Martinez going up to Parky on the sidelines and kneeling to the captain. Oh my God, that's just, that's what you love to see. Uh, and in terms of Joseph Martinez, like he's just got just a, you know, a plethora of ideas for celebrations, I feel like. And it's just another example of that. And uh, I mean, I think, you know, everybody felt the love and then maybe that kind of, um, I think it was probably already planned anyway, but maybe it tipped uh, Frank DeBoer's hand in the sentiment department because Later on, Parky was brought on. But before that, uh, let's get to Gressel's Cole, which was just absolutely a rocket. Uh, and it, I mean, basically, you know, when he's found in that area and on the right side of the box, and it's just like, you know, no he's one's around him. Yeah, he's gonna hit it. He's gonna hit it with every, like through the laces, that's what he's gonna do. And more often than not, he's been on target from there. I mean, I think it was earlier this year, there was one, I think one from last year. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this one, uh, basically it's a corner, Joseph Martinez heads it out to him. And on the half volley, Julian Gressel, whoo! Just hit both block. posts as well, I believe, just to just to be extra sure. But yeah. I mean, it's one of those, this is a true half volley. I think some people nowadays don't necessarily understand what a half volley is, but to hit it right off the bounce like that and to catch it so pure, that is a very difficult and hard technique, especially to pull off with that power and that accuracy. But when you do it, it's beautiful and it looks like that. And Julian Gressel, he took a bow, he knew how good it was. It was a fantastic goal. And you love seeing that, so. Mm -hmm. Man, he loves that. And it, the thing was, is when it when it kind of fell out to him, I think everyone kind of knew he was going to hit it. And it was like, hold on a second. Is this actually going to happen? And then he just hit it. And, oh, man, when that ball hit the back of the net. I think at that point, everyone knew Atlanta was going to now win the game. You right. felt in control of it at that point in time. And again, maybe that was when everything was for sure, you know, nailed on so, that yeah. Parkhurst was going to come on and get his, it get was, his little bow. Right. It was definitely the death knell in the match. I mean, I think even the second goal kind of, took the win out of New England sales a little bit as well. Because they so. didn't have too much to play for after that at that point. Right. Just to play and try to figure out Atlanta United for the next match. Exactly. And it's really just gain experience and experiment a little bit on what could work in unlocking the door against us. But um, yeah, so getting to Michael Parkhurst and a beautiful send-off. Um, I mean, you know, pretty much Parky for Gressel. Uh, I think, yeah, at first it's a little perplexing because it's like, okay, I guess, you know, uh, Franco Esquire moves up who moves into the back line in a sense where Parky, yeah, Parky, Miles, and uh, LGB, sorry, I, you know, that will actually be the back line, but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think Miriam came off as well, right? And well, before so before like, Parkers came on, there was the double change where Pogba right. came on and where- So that's where um, it was like- uh, Tito came on. Where are people playing? Yeah, so, so Pogba came on for Miram and Tito came on for Barco. And it was interesting because yeah. at that point in time, Atlanta had actually changed formations for the first time in a long yeah. time. And they switched into a 4-2-3-1, which was very interesting. Um, it had Gressel on the right. It had Heinemann as a 10. Tito as that left winger to make him not have to defend, right. which is very important. But and Joseph Pogba's a left back. Pogba's left back was interesting. I, I wasn't sure why DeBoer wanted to try this tactic out. I didn't know if it was maybe an yeah. idea that he has to maybe potentially play at some point in right. the playoffs. Maybe the ball over the top as well to kind of nullify that. Nullify that. He is able to definitely, you know, 
pretty much you can't get something over uh, over his head. And that's just... Yeah, no, Florentine Pogba, he's <laughs> really good in the air. He is a right. unit in terms of physicality, and a couple times he was pretty decent on the ball as well. Yeah. But I think, you know, once Parky came back in, it definitely kind of was a mixture of both of 4-3-3-1 slash 3-5-2. Parky did get one, like, run down the right-hand yeah. side overlapping to try to get into the attacking area. And it almost looked oh. like, yeah, I mean, there was a, a, almost a chance, and uh, you almost really would have loved to see Parky put one in the back of the net for his second ever MLS goal. I mean, and if that was in his very last regular season match. I mean, if you say we got in penalty, would Joseph have let him take it? Yeah, I think you almost have to, because I mean, if it's 3-1, you do it for the bants. I mean, you know, at that point, uh, that would have been an amazing moment. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the send off afterwards as well for Parky, uh, Darren Eels with the uh, standee with his jersey name and everything. Uh, just beautiful, beautiful moment. And he got the golden spike as well. I think, uh, you know, Atlanta United Twitter, they knew what was up. They put the poll out, who should get the golden spike, and it was all Michael Parker. Michael Parker, Michael Parker, <laughs> Michael Parker. It couldn't be anyone else. Yeah, so it had to be. But, uh, and I think for nostalgia, when, especially when you are up 3-1, I think, yeah, I, you know, it's the right move and good on Frank DeBoer for doing that. Um, but yeah, uh, I think all in the wild though as well, Barco got a start and I think he played beautifully. Uh, and there was a free kick that was almost on, except that the goalkeeper was equal to it. But Absolutely. Maybe if he puts a little bit more pace on the ball, he might be able to get it in. But again, yeah. the technique was fantastic. And I think exactly. they're not the same player, but Barco is very similar to Miguel Almiron in that he's one of those players that when he picks up the ball and starts running at the defense, it gets you off your seat if you're not standing already. You start leaning forward going, what's going to happen? Because you feel that he's going to make something happen. Yes. And it's just a shame that Atlanta United has missed so much of that this season because he's played so few games through both international duty and injuries. And it, it'd be, I think, a bit of a shame if he was to leave Atlanta United at the end of the season because I think a lot of fans would feel we never saw the best of him or we never right. really fully saw what he could do for the team. So we'll certainly see what happens going forward and going into the postseason. But to have him back and to play 60 minutes, it was good to see him back in the side, good to see a good run out. And yeah, I thought he had a very solid performance. Exactly. And in terms of that, yeah, I mean, Barco getting that match fitness, huge. But also, yeah, earlier in the season, he was playing so well. And so to see that he is still very sharp i mean that's uh we need all you know all the guys uh that we need in the you know the playoffs going forward but uh the surprise exclusion uh, i think most of all is pt martinez not playing a single minute in this match uh whether it's frank de Boer not playing his entire hand if there's some other things going on uh it's you know, you can speculate until your uh, your face turns blue, but it's one of those things where I think uh, P.T. Martinez, the fact that we got a 3-1 win without him, uh, I think still very much bodes well because, yeah, I mean, you know, that means we can bring on a, a technical player uh, against New England Revolution in the playoffs and surprise them a little bit because they haven't seen how he actually uh, is, you know, up front uh, going against their defense. And, I mean, yeah, that... Really uh, could bring bring some surprise. I think that um, you know could really be useful, and also Eric Rometty because someone that likes to harass uh, other midfield players and some sometimes forwards. I mean, it's something that uh, you know maybe they're not going to be able to you know get in uh, those type of. Uh, you know, easy touches in our midfield like that, uh, you know, for that first chance maybe even. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where uh, I think it's actually kind of smart that he didn't play every yeah. single hand that he had. And uh, yeah, Larry, someone that they're, you know, obviously Bruce Arena is familiar with, uh, Parky, someone he's familiar with. Uh, that's, yeah, that's really actually kind of smart, I feel like, that, uh, you know what he did but yeah I mean we, I think you also want to continue to help Tito try to regain his confidence and get back to full match right. fitness so it makes sense for him That's to right. come on and as far as Pity is concerned I thought he played well against both Montreal and, and NYCFC so I don't think it was a performance based drop I think that you start Barco because you need him to get a start you need him to get that solid 60 minutes of action you know what you're getting from Pity. And whether or not we start with all three, my gut feeling is we will start with both Pity, well, with Pity, Barco, and Joseph up top because I yeah. think it, Lenny at, at its best this season has had all three of those players starting at the same time. Yeah. It's your three designated players. You want them all on the pitch. Emerson Hyman does offer you something different as well. So 
I think that by not playing him, it's yeah, he's saving a little bit of his hand. And he, like you said, once you get three one up, there's no reason to play him. You know, you're bringing Parker Song so that you can give him his his send off. And with Eric Rometty, it's it's interesting. I don't think Eric Rometty has necessarily been playing his best football recently. He hasn't been in his best form. And Jeff Lorenowitz gives you that balancing factor there in the midfield. You know he's going to be able to break play up. Although that being said, New England still managed to create a lot of chances. So was it him having a good game or was it necessarily kind of looked over because they were still creating a lot of chances? So we'll certainly see. But the one thing that Atlanta United does have in its favor is that it has a lot of options. Yep. That Frank DeBoer, in a way, does have a selection dilemma on his hand to where he can pick and choose who he wants based upon the situation, which is a blessing, I'd say. Right, and especially last year's playoffs, we had two super subs that we could bring on to finish off the match. That really is a good thing uh, that, you know, uh, you can kind of have that ace in the hole up your sleeve. Uh, but I think I do worry, though, that essentially P.T. Martinez and Eric Rometty will probably go about three to four weeks without having played a match until we have the, the first round. And so that hopefully we have some very tough practices some uh, intense training sessions some and maybe squad friendly exactly, style stuff some some other things that uh will really get us ready for it because it's just the layoff is going to be it's unfortunate but it's just how mls set up their playoffs this year with right. putting it right after the international break in order to have it finished before the november international right. break so, so yeah it's a it's a uh, trade-off of basically having an international break in the playoffs or right before and it's Okay, I guess this is slightly better, but is it? Either way, it's still not ideal. So that puts a bow on this match and on decision day in which, uh, yeah, I mean, we secured second in the final standings. Absolutely. Atlanta and it took care of business as they had to do. If they won, they were going to finish second. NYCFC made sure of that, that regardless of the result that happened in the Atlanta game, we would still finish second by seeing off the Philadelphia Union two goals to one. As far as the rest of the Eastern Conference goes, as far as the standings and playoff seedings, NYCFC finished first, Atlanta added second, Philadelphia Union third, Toronto FC fourth, DC United fifth, New York Red Bulls sixth, and of course the New England Revolution seventh. Remember in the playoffs that after each round, the playoffs will be reseeded so that the highest seed will always face the lowest remaining seed. So depending on what the results are, we could either be seeing a Philadelphia Union or a Toronto or a DC, who knows? All I know is that it won't be the Red Bulls if the Red Bulls win because they'd be the lowest seed if they did win, which means we won't have to see them unless they make it all the way to the conference finals, and we do as well. So I guess in that sense, we don't have to play them, which is ideal. Right, and uh, if NYCFC do lose uh, when their time finally comes, uh, then we potentially could have two or maybe even more uh, you know, games at the Benz. And so that's, I think, bodes well. Obviously, all of us, uh, you know, we all know how good we are at home and how kind of reverse it's been this season as opposed to last season on the road. Ideally, we would not have to play at, well, it might not even be Yankee Stadium for what it's worth. Right. It might be City Field because the Yankees have said, yeah, we're in the playoffs as well. Get stuffed. This is our stadium. So NYCFC might not even be playing their home playoff games at home. So they might have to play at City Field or maybe even at Red Bull Arena. Which honestly, be... I would love for them to play at Red Bull Arena because that, imagine, all right, this yeah. is B Bay. Imagine them playing Red Bull at Red Bull Arena. At home, yeah, exactly. And it a playoff game, that would be beautiful. But the Mets aren't in the playoffs, so it doesn't matter. Anyway, Atlanta could only host MLS Cup if we were to win the East and LAFC were to not win the West. So who knows? As far as the Western Conference is concerned, though, LAFC, of course, did win the West. And the Supporter Shield. And the Supporter Shield, of course. They set the record for most points in a season with 72, surpassing the New York Red Bulls record from last year. The West was kind of wacky. Seattle Sounders ended up clinching the two seat, Real Salt Lake the three seed. Minnesota United in their first playoff appearance will also have a home playoff game. Good for them. They clinched the four seed. They'll be hosting Zlatan and the LA Galaxy who finished fifth. Portland sneaked in at sixth and FC Dallas took care of business and they finished seventh. They absolutely hammered. Sporting KC, who have had a miserable season. Yeah, and uh, also, I mean, to note the Earthquakes, who many were pegging like, oh yeah, with such a great turnaround with the new coach, Matias Almeida, I mean, their slide was pretty uh, epic, I think. And yeah, I mean, I think they lost their last six or something like that. And uh, that's really, yeah. That's very unfortunate, because that really would have been, I think, a fun matchup to see them play anybody. I mean, them at their best during the 
during the regular season, it really would have been a shootout, and that would have been fun for anybody. Uh, but that's the unfortunate part. But Atlanta United, in the two years, uh, we had have. We have had 126 points across the two seasons, and that's the second most in MLS history. LAFC set that uh, mark on Sunday with 129 points. One more win, whatever. One more win, but uh, yeah, we are also... Uh, we have more people at our games than you. <laughs> but it's also, we uh, have also gotten the most points after winning MLS Cup, so, you know, uh, you know, there's... At least uh, something we can hold over them. And more points than I believe in our inaugural season as well. Yeah. So there is an improvement there. There was a, what was it, nine point drop off between this season and last season, or ten points. So yeah. that's a bit expected when you have a, a coaching turnover and you draw like literally no games throughout the season. Yeah, and then yeah, also CCL to contend with, and also uh, pretty much the you know winning U.S. Open Cup, deep runs and things. Uh, kind of really will take some uh, some win out of your sales for sure. And also uh, a great thing that came from all the matches that we played this season at home, we're our average attendance is 52,510, and that also led the league for the third straight year. So good on the fans for that. Uh, of course, though, you might be one of those fans or people that uh, attendance, uh, you know, is it the actual announced or is it actual uh, tickets sold? You know, ticket sold? How many people are going through the turnstiles? Point being, we are always getting more people than anyone else, yeah. so it doesn't it's matter. a large margin, yes. so it really shouldn't matter too hard for them. But. I think the next bit's probably the most depressing news from uh, Decision Day, though. And that is the fact that Carlos Vela has broken Joseph Martinez's goal record. I will say, at least he did it with style. He did it with a hat trick, he did it with the goal outside the box, and he did it with a bicycle kick, kind of. It was really good, but at the same time, I'm, I'm still going to be salt bay on this one and be super salty about the whole thing. Yeah, I think there are a little bit of caveats. You know, Joseph Martinez, I think, uh, you know, he did it with more panache, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we're yeah. going to be a bit biased on that. Yes, but, uh, and then Carlos Vela, I think, arguably had a, a lot more help than Joseph Martinez. Uh, I mean, with Diogo Rossi also, uh, you know, scoring that many goals, I mean, pretty much, they're as stacked as can be. And, you know, we had, yes, Amigi, uh, but I think, I believe he was the only person in double figures last season for us as, as well. As far as attacking goes, they were a better team attacking than Atlanta exactly. United was last season. And so, you know, I think if you're talking about MVP, yes, I mean, Oh, he's absolutely MVP. You know, but... Uh, 34 goals and what, 15 assists? 15 assists? I mean, that's, honestly, if we're being taken complete bias away, one of the greatest, if yes. not not the greatest Indeed. individual season statistic-wise in MLS history. That is yeah. to be responsible for a total of almost 50 goals by yourself. Yeah. Surpasses, I think, Jovinko for one of the best seasons. I didn't like sure. Jovinko, so I'm fine with yeah. that. And also, I mean, Carlos Vela, a former gunner, so, you know. Whatever. Gotta, Not important. He didn't, he did, he didn't even want to come back to Arsenal after he left. Uh, there's... There wasn't a reason to bring him back, so uh, there wasn't really a spot. There really wasn't. But, Whatever. Point uh, <laughs> being is that I'm, I'm a bit salty. He got more penalties than Joseph. I think he had three more penalties than Joseph. So that's he had for the nine, record. I think, total uh, in terms of. Was it nine? I thought it was like eleven. Apparently, it was. Well, you know, I I, it was like eleven. It's uh, it's around that territory. And so, he also turned down international call-ups. I'm exactly. gonna say everything that I can to discredit this <laughs> because I am a homer and a salty bitch. Yeah. I am not gonna <laughs> deny it. I'm being straightforward. I'm backing my boy Joseph. Incredible season by Carlos Vela, but he'll it's... if he, okay if he breaks Joseph's goal scoring in a row record, I will be genuinely shocked because. I didn't think that Joseph's record would get broken immediately, mm -hmm. but at least his goal scoring in terms of games in a row, there's no way that gets, like that is so <laughs> much, like it's almost sort of doubled the record of right. games from nine to what was it, 15, 16, mm -hmm. 15, whatever, doesn't matter. Point is, that's not gonna happen anytime <laughs> soon. And that's far more impressive as far as I'm concerned. Hopefully not, hopefully not. But I think it, what it serves is, is that it's a, great motivator for Joseph Martinez who really needs no motivation and any sort of that extra motivation he really is like Michael Jordan like he just you can make he can just make up trash talk and he will play harder he wants 35 <laughs> goals next year exactly or like. more and so it's just I think uh, it actually serves us well because if he's firing like that yes it will be fantastic for us but uh, moving on from that Julian Gressel uh, he he won the MLS Goal of the Week already, and uh, so he's yeah. going to be nominated again, I believe, right? Or did he already win for he this week? He already won. He already won for this week, back to back already. And there so, you go. Beautiful, and he also made the MLS Team of the Week. 
richly deserved for sure. Uh, but what was interesting, I think, though, I mean, yes, okay. So Julian Gressel got two, uh, two assists and a goal. Joseph Martinez also got two assists and a goal. Yes, it's a hockey assist. But still, he pretty much had a very similar day and arguably coming back from, uh, you know, two weeks of, uh, you know, the just crazy will he, won't he type of uh, injury. He's I made mean, of adamantium. That's, yeah, pretty much. He is the Wolverine. But, yes. um, and so, uh, also, Miles Robinson, yeah, big news today. He has signed a contract extension until 2023. Uh, and uh, people will speculate how much is he getting. Uh, he was originally We'll find making, out next year. Yeah, we'll find out next year at around September. But uh, he made around 200000 this season. And uh, as, you know, I think he got a sweet deal from being, you know, our number one draft pick in the 2017 Super Draft. But uh, in terms of... Uh, I think this, you know, extension, it really could be, uh, you know, anywhere, I think it's somewhere in the territory of 300,000 to maybe 500,000. I'm kind of surprised we were talking before we started recording about the timing of this announcement. If I'm his, him, I'm kind of looking at his agent going, yo, what, why did we do this now? Because he's, he has a chance of being in the MLS team of the year. He has a chance of being an MLS defender of the year. I think he'll probably lose out to Ike but still finishing second. And then he also just got called up to the U.S. men's national team again. So he's playing for the men's national team. And the other two things I just mentioned, you know, defender of the year, possible 11 right. of the year. It's like, ask for, wait for that to come out and then ask for even more money. But like, for Atlanta United, it's smart business because oh, you get it done before all the plot has come out. I mean, yeah, why not? And, uh, and then you have to think that they have been negotiating before the end of the season to begin with then because of the nature of when this was announced. So absolutely, I mean, that's uh, really, really great piece of business and locking up this defender for five years more, essentially. I mean, or four years, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think parts of five years. And so, yeah, really, really smart on us. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, having Miles Robinson around for that many more years, I think we see the potential Will he be around for all of it? He keeps that developing the way that he is. Probably not. Yeah. But uh, speaking of that uh, U.S. men's national team call-up, he has been named to the roster. And so he will play the CONCACAF uh, Nations League uh, tournament that uh, they are going to be a part of in this international window. But uh, will he be actually sl uh, you know, selected in a starting 11? Hopefully not. <laughs> we'll see. I hope he gets a cap, but it's one of those things where, yeah, I mean, we don't want him to play too much. In he can play in the November international break. Yeah. But this one, nope. Yeah, hopefully, <laughs> yeah. Fewer minutes probably is actually probably good for him because he's played a ton of minutes this season. Uh, and also, uh, of Atlanta United 2 uh, territory, Jose Hernandez also was named to the U23s for the Venezuelan national team. And so, uh, and of course, you know, Jose Martinez has pretty much written off being part of the Venezuelan national team, so... Uh, and in this case, that. Justin Miram did not come up with, with for Iraq. Yeah, and so he did not accept it uh, for that call-up as well because I think he saw that, yes, MLS, MLS playoffs are coming up right now, and he kind of probably either wants to take that break and take this time to rest up and prepare for it and uh, not have to rush back and then, you know, where he's just not ready for it. I think he sees that this is a brilliant chance for him to win MLS Cup if uh, if there was any. So uh, yeah, it's smart on him and we're glad that he is because he's a vital cog in our wingback play. But also Justin Miriam, yeah, with a tweet that he has since deleted in a kind of uh, time frame that was very convenient in a uh, Orlando City firing James O'Connor and then <laughs> Justin Miriam tweets two laughing uh, crying emoji faces and uh, there's no love lost there there's no love lost he you know what I mean basically yeah he hated his time at Orlando City and he was pretty much benched for a, a period of time James O'Connor probably a large part of that and so yeah I mean you know yeah, I don't think you can blame him uh, but uh, the fact that he deleted it probably came from somewhere else where yeah he was probably told like yeah you probably should do that and, it's a shame because I mean, you know, it really wasn't that harmful. But maybe it was confused with the Iraqi call-up. Um, yeah, maybe it was something that um, who knows he has to rectify. But uh, yeah, I I found it hilarious, and you know, I think I mean it's making fun of Orlando. Exactly. Anytime. To be you fair, can. though, at this point, like it's kind of <laughs> like I don't. I will never feel bad for Orlando, but it's just like 
it's hard to even like keep laughing at them because it's just so bad and it's consistently it so, is bad, so bad. But where let's it's just not like, forget. Let's not forget the death threats and the. Hate oh no 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 no! no. I'm saying not as far so. as he goes. I'm saying me personally at this yeah. point, like mm -hmm. seeing them fire James O'Connor, just like. Yeah, that's that's about right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just the instability that's uh, within that club in a nutshell. Club. Like they've turned so many people off from soccer. Whereas Atlanta <laughs> has turned people on to soccer. Everyone's just like, why does this? Why is this a thing? Like, yeah. I don't see any clubs folding anytime soon in MLS. But if you had to pick one, yeah, and that's the thing. I don't think really those appointments have been all that bad in terms of the quality of manager. I think the club just sucks. I think the you know actual ownership and the management has been very suspect, and so that's really where it's coming from. But because um, you yeah, hate to see it, yeah, but you love to see it. Actually, you don't hate to so, see it. So, uh, but anyway, uh, Atlanta United's first fixture or first known fixture of 2020 uh, has been revealed, and they will play at Chicago's Chicago's Soldier Chicago. Field. Uh, Chicago's uh, uh, probably field. like I don't know. We're not. Yeah, it's we're not miserable, but uh, but I do love Chicago, and so yeah, it is one of those things where I think them playing at Sh Soldier Field, uh, them you know, is pretty much very very close to Grant Park, their Grant Park. Uh, we also have a Grant Park here in Atlanta, if you didn't know. Uh, but with their grid system, I think it allows for more of you know prospective fans because they don't really currently have a ton of fans that go to their games um, to be able to get to their games and so that match will be played on March 21st in 1920 or 2020 rather 2020 we're going back 100 years we're going back 100 years prohibition uh, and whatnot yeah exactly like, I'm gonna but, actually go to that game one of our really close friends who's we're both Manchester United sufferers, but yeah. he's a he's a he's a fire fan. And now knowing that that game's then, I might I might go up and check the yeah. game. I've never been to Chicago, and it is heck, a blast. I mean, it'll so, still probably be really cold there. Yes, it might even snow because yeah, March. I mean, pretty much there's. As most people in Chicago know, there's pretty much only one month that's really, really nice. It's like, what, two seasons? It's like winter and construction, apparently, or pretty something much, like yeah. that? And so, uh, yeah, but either way, uh, you know, that's their home opener. And uh, unfortunately, the Benz will be unavailable for several weeks in March and early April for the Final Four. Well, so, it's not monster trucks, so right. I think people might be able to accept that a little bit more. Right, and so, yeah, that may, might mean a little bit more... Uh, yeah, home matches later in the year, which I think, you know, if that is the case, we've shown what we can do with that. So I'm it's fine not with that. Thing. Uh, but moving on from that, let's get into the transfer rumor of the week. And there is a report from 90min, uh, that uh, website that says several Brazilian clubs want PT Martinez on loan in January. I mean, yeah. I can't really see that happening because if it is a loan, that is probably the worst case scenario for Atlanta United. It makes like no sense. It's like all risk, no reward. You can get hurt yeah. or play bad, and then now we have like yeah. no return on our investment. Exactly. And so, yeah, I I pour cold water all over this. Dubious over. at best. Yeah, and I very much think that's not going to happen. So, uh, but moving on from that, there is an expansion draft coming up after the MLS. Cup, and so, uh, you know, you have the new clubs coming in, in Nashville and Inter-Miami. Yeah, there are 12 players that you can keep. There is, there will be twice as many people taken in this year's expansion draft as opposed to last year. And right. they'll probably look at Cincinnati and go, whatever they did, that's not what we're going to do. Right, and so uh, there's also this though, you know, we, if we only get, uh, or basically if we get a player taken, then that's it. We. Uh, don't get two taken, so that's great. But it leads us to who are we going to protect? And so I think uh, going in through the ones that we agree with. Yeah, um, and, and we funny. This is something that's happening recently where we agree on pretty much everything, which is not always the case. But in this case, I think we agreed on the players. I think this is something we'll definitely revisit yeah, again after so. the season comes to an end because yeah. who knows? But let's get into that list. Right and. I think this prompted uh, is prompted because of a user that has been kind of hounding us about it, Terminus United 83. So hat tip to you for that. Uh, but first off, I think we gotta keep Joseph. 
Oh, Number actually, one. before we even get into that, maybe it'd be help to actually talk about some more specific of the rules. Like AJ said, you can protect 12 players, and that's from both your first team, your supplemental roster, and your reserves. And there's only a few rules that protect players. Right. Basically, as far as we're concerned, almost Atlanta's entire roster is really up for being selected. Homegrown players do have a certain protection, as do Generation Adidas players, but I believe both Julian Gressel and Miles Armisen have now graduated out of that, or they are no longer protected by that. Right. And your DPs are not automatically protected either which is kind of weird when you think about it but anyway like you said yep. number one protecting the dp joseph martinez for obvious reasons because no one can have him but us <laughs> exactly uh and i think uh next up you keep ezekiel barco for sure uh that's just a no-brainer there and uh next up after that i think julian gressel definitely is vital to this team and that yeah i mean you pretty much uh, he's played almost every single match that we've uh, we played in MLS. And if you play with a back three, he's your right wing back. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, you know, definitely have to do that. LGP, another stalwart. Yes, definitely we uh, have to have LGP in there. But uh, there might be some, you know, is he going to, uh, you know, re-up his contract? There are some kind of things where we don't know if he's going but to. But that being to. said, Atlanta United may still protect him because mm -hmm. even if players' contracts are expiring at the end of the season, they are still available for selection in the expansion draft. So that wouldn't, you know, exclude him from being picked. So it is, it is, is he going to stay? Is he not? He's one of those players that at times has had issues with Frank DeBoer that we've seen that in the quotes he's put out to the press. Mm -hmm. So is he going to? Again, the contract situation, we're not entirely aware of if he has another year left or what the club holds if, as far as options go. But he's absolutely a player that you have to protect because he's one of the best defenders, regardless of the mistakes he makes in MLS. And you got to make sure he doesn't get picked up for free by someone else. Exactly. And uh, so next up, the new signee, Miles Robinson, for sure. I mean, for obvious reasons, uh, you don't just sign him up and then expose him to the draft. Uh, Especially when he's <laughs> now one of the best defenders in Major League Soccer. Exactly. Uh, and then next up after that, I think our only natural right back, if we're ever going to play in that system again, and that is Franco Escobar. And so definitely, uh, you know, for obvious reasons there. Uh, and I think after that, Eric Rometty definitely is a guy that, uh, I mean, you know, still hella useful and, you know, you He's can very use functional. Exactly. And you can use him in a lot of places. And so definitely, uh, yeah, keeping Remedy in that and not exposing him. I think you got to, you know, I mean, it depends on what the situation is. We're probably not going to make a move right after the MLS Cup, although it depends, obviously. Um, because obviously, yeah, I mean, it's not the, uh, you know, winter transfer window as well as many other things, but, you know, it'd be interesting. But I don't think you expose PT Martinez. Absolutely not. He's a, he's a player of quality and of talent, I think, to do. I mean, again, he's a DP. Almost every single team, unless, you know, you say you're Fernando Addy at Cincinnati, yep. is going to be protected by their teams because they're not going to get picked in this expansion draft. And PT Martinez, he, there's no way that he sees that expansion draft. Exactly. Uh, and then, of course, you got to keep the first choice goalkeeper there as well, Brad Guzan. Uh, and then this is where it kind of gets really kind of tricky. Um, yeah, I mean, Jonathan Nagby. He should be not left exposed, but I believe his contract is uh, up at the end of the season. And, I mean, there is the whisper of him selling his home. There's, you know, him From wanting to Earlier in the season, to wanting to, to move Columbus, on. Maybe. So there's he might be things. leaving anyway. Yeah, like, do you just, you know, maybe try to save somebody else? And, you know, if you already know the writing of the wall, hopefully... Uh, he is staying, and hopefully it's not an issue, and yes, then I would include him. Uh, I mean, that, that. then again, that being said, if you know for a fact he's leaving, I'm not protecting him. Yeah. Like, if you've had those contract negotiations and it's like, look, I'm not coming back, then you don't protect him. Right. Because I don't know how it works with this contract expiring, but also his agent will probably make it very apparent to those two teams, I don't want to go there. Mm -hmm. And he'd be very pissed off to go there anyway. It's like, I don't want to be here. Like, right. I want to go somewhere else, trade me. And now I guess maybe in that case, they could pick him and then trade him for a lot of money from Columbus, sure. whatever that situation is. But if you know he's not staying, 0% chance, and he's made that clear, then I'm not protecting him. Right. But if there is a way that you can keep him, then you can protect him. But that's one of those interesting things about the expansion draft. And I think we would all love him to stay here, but he's also one of those players who I think his value 
will be determined by what comes up in the new CBA. Mm -hmm. Because if Tam and Gam go away, the salary cap increases and you're allowed to pay him more money, mm -hmm. he's a million dollar a year player as far as I'm concerned because he's one of the best players in MLS. He's the best player at his position in MLS. So if you think you can hold on to him, because I don't personally think he will sign with Columbus or any team until after the CBA is done. I think so, yeah. Then that really determines how high of a salary he can receive, and that's, I think, really what he's worried about because this is pretty much his last contract. So This can be his big contract as right. well because he has been playing so well for Atlanta United that whatever money he gets, he will deserve. Right. Uh, so next up, it will be Tito Vichalba, which also his... Uh, his deal, I think, expires at the end of the season as well. And so definitely it is, uh, you know, he has been seeing limited minutes, uh, you know, injuries as well has played a part. Tito Vishalba, I mean, lots of people hold him very dear in their hearts uh, because he's our first DP. He would be on, uh, you know, big wages as well, again, if he were re-signed. But either way... Um, you know, we want to retain his rights because if he does move even interim MLS, then you still want to, you know, be able to command some sort of trade uh, of, you know, if the CBA uh, does retain allocation money, then you still want to get some sort of allocation money that's still reasonable. And you don't want to have him opened up because as far as I'm concerned, if Tito job was fit, he starts for any team in MLS. Yeah. I mean, outside of maybe LAFC and in some cases, obviously Atlanta United. Yeah. I mean, Miami would enter Miami. Would love a player like Tito Vijalba. So they probably wouldn't even need him though. But maybe Nashville really definitely. Could. I don't think he'd want to go to Nashville. That's just me. I don't know if he has really too much of a choice. But, but yeah. I mean, I'm, you protect him because you don't want him getting picked up by either one of those right. two clubs, exactly. as far as I'm concerned. I think that's why you protect him. And then if he does go, I don't know if he stays in, in MLS. I could see him going back to Argentina. Who knows? I'd like for him to stay here. But again. A lot of this stuff is going to be really weird this year because of that CBA expiring. But I think, he's, again, he's one of those players that you have to protect just to prevent him from going. Yeah. But unless you know that he's leaving, especially going outside of the country, then maybe you leave him unprotected. But right. still, you're sure going to find the quality of any other player that's, that's mm -hmm. worthy of justifying that protection. Right. And so, he also, I mean, he absolutely wants to play first team minutes because he wants, I mean, he made the move. Uh, and switching national teams to Paraguay for a reason. And him being excluded in the summer because of injury, you know that tore him apart. And so that's one of those things where, yeah, definitely, uh, it, it really brings a conundrum for sure. But uh, that last person on this 12-man uh, list, it's Brandon Vasquez, I think, for me, because he's shown enough this season that, you know, he's a capable backup. Uh, and I think if we were to lose him, then you're pretty much without a backup striker. You have to now go find a backup striker. Right. And he does so many things well. His being, he's the only player on Atlanta that can play with his back to goal, receive the ball to his feet, and then be able to bring others into play. He offers you a lot. I think he's improved a lot this season, where he left a lot to be desired after year two, but he's shown hard work and he's shown improvement this season, and hopefully he can continue to improve with that form. I think now we can really address a couple of notable absences off yeah. that list. I think first for me would be Emerson. Heinemann, yep. reason being, he's on loan. So he doesn't belong to us, so he can't get picked. And I mm -hmm. think that's one of the possible structures of his contract if Atlanta does indeed pick up that option. And based upon the way that he's been playing, I think that's something that will happen, but we won't do that until after the expansion draft. So he is not available to be selected because he's not Atlanta United's player. Right, and it was probably worked into the deal when we uh, got him on loan to begin with. And so that's just a smart piece of business if that is the case. And so, yeah, I mean, definitely Heinemann, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, that's, I think some people would be like, what, you know? But I think, uh, you know, I think that's a, a smart uh, smart move and exclusion there because of that. Uh, next person, I think, yeah, definitely. A Florida Bagua, for sure. Is he gonna be here next year anyway? What's his contract situation? Right. We don't know how many years it was and maybe just through the end of the season. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't shock me if he was to move back to Europe if he could somewhere mm -hmm. to be closer to his family. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, and you know, I think he uh, he is a very capable defender. I think he would start for many MLS teams. I think he'd be a good pickup by Inter Miami, to be perfectly honest with you. I can see that be. happening. I but, can see uh, him actually loving life in Miami. <laughs> right, oh, sure. Uh, you know, he is want to do a dance move uh, out of nowhere for sure. And so definitely, I think, uh, yeah, he would see uh, very well in Miami. But uh, I think, you know, I think you can't save everybody, and this is one of those guys that might be a casualty, unfortunately. Uh, but I think you can find something comparable, and you know, but maybe not with the locker room presence, but definitely uh, maybe something of what he can provide. Uh, also, a Dion Pereira could be uh, someone that uh, could be 
I think, exposed that, you know, you would be kind of uh, remiss to kind of, you know, lose that type of depth and kind of promise, I think. Uh, you know, he does show a lot of ability on the ball. His final product is a little bit missing, but, I mean, if you are to miss that, I mean, yeah, he, he showed, I think, a lot of promise early in the season, but, I mean, he is an exclusion because, yes, I don't think he's better than any of those guys uh, in the 12. Those other guys are almost, you can't, they're not, a, like, they're in, in expendable. Like, you can't get rid of them. Right. Exactly. And so, that's pretty much, uh, I think, you know, the notable guys that were excluded from the list, and of course, those homegrowns, uh, I think, are still uh, homegrown enough and haven't played enough significant first team minutes to really, uh, you know, be a part of uh, you know, being chosen or, you know, because I think those people that, I mean, these clubs, they want to choose first team ready guys. And, you know, those guys, I don't think are there. Quite and that's even there with like a Dion Prayer or like a Mo Adams. They're not first team guys that you're going to get that are immediately going to step in and start and start 25, 30 games for you. So in that case, leaving them unprotected, you can also afford to do that because it's unlikely, mm -hmm. knock on wood, that they would get paid. Right. Uh, but yeah, moving on to another topic. Uh, and this was kind of, uh, a little bit of inspiration from Chris from the fan camps this past weekend. He was talking about the Mount Rushmore for Atlanta United. If uh, you know at this point in time you had to choose for the legends, and uh, yeah, I mean I think uh, there's some interesting ones that you could put in there. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just uh, Google Mount Rushmore. I guess if you're not aware of what that is, but <laughs> I. You have to have the caveat that there are some young younger people that are Fair you know, that are watching and don't know what what, I'm, what we're talking about. But um, I think some people didn't know what uh, Outcast was and what Wu Tang Clan was. So you know, this, this, yeah, it's part like of the a Wu Tang Clan name generator. You can <laughs> yes, go and be like, you can join the Wu Tang Clan. Oh, yeah. I did mine, and I forgot. It was um, it was uh, oh, it was something really stupid. It was a uh, mighty uh, mighty. Um, Oh, what the hell was it? Sorry, this is riveting content. Child, it was basically like Mighty Homeless Man was basically mine. Man. I was just like, what the hell? That doesn't surprise me, actually. That makes Mighty Beggar. Mighty, Mighty Beggar. Beggar. That's what it was. <laughs> but, uh, like, what? Yeah. Donald Glover, aka Childish Gambino, also got his uh, name from the Wu-Tang Clan generator, actually. So. Wait, Childish name Gambino name. came from the Wu-Tang? Yeah, his name, he, he chose it, or he, uh, he uh, pretty much used the Wu-Tang Clan Until he got one that he liked, and it was... And no, I think apparently it was the first one that he got. That's wild. Gambino, so, yeah, it's crazy. But, uh, but anyway, severely off topic. Uh, Sorry. Yeah. So... First up, who's on that list? Because I think, you know, this was born out of a conversation about Michael Parkhurst, him being the first captain of Atlanta United. It's gotta be included in that. Yes, both of us have Michael Parkhurst on that list. Yeah. I mean, he's the first captain. He's the guy that when you will always look at the images of Atlanta United lifting the MLS Cup, he's the one that's doing it the first time. So he has to be on there because he was your captain. He had a hand in that first goal as well. Yep. So it's gotta be him. And I think it's easy to transition immediately to the second guy. And that's the guy that scored that goal. Yep. And that's Joseph Martinez. Right. And it's also the cries of building the statue. If you're building a statue and that's what pretty much Mount Rushmore is, I think that would make sense that he was yes. part of that as well. And another guy, this, this one might be, I mean, we agree on this and this might be kind of a, Surprise to many, but I think uh, in this point in time, I mean, he leads our team in assists. I mean, and that's beyond, like, far beyond what uh, the output of, yeah, yes. what anybody else has. And that's Julian Gressel. I mean, from, I mean, it, yes, again, he's he's as old as the club is in terms of MLS experience, but I think he's done so much for this club in that sense. Um, but he still has a lot of career to play. And that's hopefully where, a lot here. Yeah, hopefully a lot here. But uh, I think the caveat is that it is in this point in time because we can't look into the future. We don't have a crystal ball. And so, yes, Julian Gressel, I think, is definitely part of that Mount Rushmore. Our fourth is where we finally disagree because we sure. agree on the first three. Yeah. I'm going to go first. My fourth is the big smile, the ostrich himself, Miguel Almiron. You have to have him there for me. Yes, he wasn't here this season, but the club would not be what it is today without Miguel Almiron. He was instrumental in you winning MLS Cup. He was instrumental in your first season. He helped Joseph become what Joseph is today with their fusion. And he kind of was the, the reason that you wanted to start this model of getting young players 
and moving them on. You, you gotta have him on there for me, even though he was only here for two seasons. He was our first 10, and he would have a massive smile in yeah. his image. <laughs> I mean, and I don't disagree with uh, most of what you're saying. I think it's just that big, big uh, thing of him not being uh, really on this team for very long. And it was one less year than anyone else on this list, well, okay? Again, but this is where I think, uh, you know, the longevity, longevity does play a part because that is where it's, uh, I think, uh, part of the argument. And so LGP, uh, I think, is for me part of that Mount Rushmore at the moment. It might be a little bit fluid. It depends on... Uh, you know who'd look great on a Mount Rushmore? Brad Guzan. Cause it'd also be really <laughs> easy for them to make because it'd just be like, sweet, flat. I don't know, flat. actually. No, because actually round things might be actually a little bit more difficult. But you wouldn't actually, have to get the detail of the hair. Like yeah. LGP, you'd have to get the hair and yeah. the beard. And for gray. me, the longevity of that is because he only came in halfway through the 2017 season. So LGP, uh, because of, you know, I think him bringing all the players under his wing in terms of South American players. I mean, he pretty much is a almost de facto captain on the pitch as well because of how vocal he is and uh, and how he bridges the gap between the Spanish-speaking players and the English-speaking players as well. I think, uh, yeah, LGP has been that rock in defense for all three seasons, whether it's been a little bit uh, kind of, you know, a little shoddy here and there. Either way, he's brought the kind of personality of the team and that we are swashbuckling. We will go for it. We will take risks. So, yeah, I think uh, for me, LGP is kind of fluidly right now part of the Mount Rushmore. But anyway, uh, that was a little fun segment from uh, that new segment. And we'll move on to Atlanta United 2 and what they did this past weekend. They drew the Pittsburgh Riverhounds 1-1. Wesley Dikas got, uh, got his first goal of the season. And that is six undefeated for the twos. That is a club record. It's not a lot of wins, but they haven't been yeah. losing, which is an improvement. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Uh, it was three wins in that, but uh, anyway. But uh, that does it for the news and gets us to our giveaway winner. And basically, uh, yeah, I mean, with her comment, Kara Knott, uh, not only did she guess the right scoreline, which wasn't a requirement, but... She said that she wanted to see a Parky goal, and so that's just good karma. So congrats, Kara Knott. Please message us on the back end of our channel and claim your prize. Thank you, everybody, for commenting and entering the uh, giveaway. So anyway, uh, that does it for that and gets us to our buy or sell segment. And so first topic is... Well, to explain what buy or sell is, if you haven't uh, seen this show before, basically we put up an Atlanta United topic and we decide if we buy or sell it and then we give our reasons. So first topic is Frank DeBoer will sell, uh, will start PT Martinez in the playoffs. Buy or sell? Buy. Atlanta has played his best soccer so far this season when PT Martinez, Joseph Martinez, and Ezekiel Barco have all been playing. It's your most attacking lineup. It's your best players, big time players, big time games. This is a playoff game. You have to score your goals. And as well as Emerson Hyman's played, maybe you play him further back in midfield. I don't know. Maybe you can bring him off the bench. But I think that Pity Martinez offers you a whole heck of a lot. He is a divisive figure with, with how he's played this year. Some people don't believe in him. I still personally do. And I think he's been at his best when in that middle of the season stretch where you had the, the three of them together for that short period of time. He looked really good there. I think he starts Pity Martinez. Yeah. Um, I think he, yes, okay. I buy that he's, he will start. Uh, but I think Emerson Hyman, I mean, he very well could start as well over P.T. Martinez. Uh, and it's just one of those things where I think both of them have shown up in cup finals. And so that's one of those things where, I mean, it really could go either way. And I think it is kind of between that, uh, those qualities that they have at this point, because P.T. Martinez uh, can pretty much, uh, he and Barco are very similar in some regard in that uh, they bring a lot of creativity, uh, maybe lack a little bit uh, in the defensive and work rate than an Emerson Hyman. Uh, and so if you're trying to value uh, really that work rate and the de defensive uh, contributions, then I think you see an Emerson Hyman. But if you're really trying to go all out and trying to, uh, you know, first kind of get a foothold of the game and uh, kind of get as many goals as possible early on, then you see a PT Martinez start. Uh, next topic is Orlando City will finish above Atlanta United in the next three years. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, that's we'll my move answer. on for that. Yeah. <laughs> 
pretty much, yeah, we're gonna sell that. But uh, anyway, that does it for buy or sell and gets us to the mailbag. And you guys send in these questions through IG story. Please continue to do so. We might answer your question in the future. First question comes from Thomas Jeppels 17 When Bell was fit, who would you rather start left wing back? Holy crap, I just realized we missed someone in our in our um, uh, expansion draft. Yeah, yeah, we George didn't Bell. know. Justin Miram. Yeah, I know, but Justin Miram, there is a kind of, uh, you know, his contract... Is also expired. Yeah, it's expired. Well, it's it's kind of ish. I think he just signed a new one, I think, uh, when he, yeah, I think was with Columbus, and then he moved on to Orlando City. I think he's still got some years on it, but he is 30 years old, and it's one of those things where, yeah, George Bellow, I think he might usurp him next season. Point being for is me, that, that that's for, where it was. For me, well, either way, he's a player that I, we didn't discuss at all in the expansion draft, and I don't know why we didn't do that. They just kind of slipped the mind because again, whether he's staying, whether he's going, who knows? Yeah. I'd rather him stay. I wouldn't want him to get picked up. I don't know mm -hmm. if he'd want to move again. I think he's very happy here. Mm -hmm. He might be able to work out one of those trade things where we do where you say here's a pick, and right. now you don't pick someone from right. us. So who knows? But I think ideal scenario is you would have Bello and Miram both here next season. Mm -hmm. I, Bello has had a tough season. Obviously, he had the game at the beginning of the season against Herediano where he was not very good. Um, Justin Miriam was not on the team at that time. You had Brick Shea, who worked in that position, didn't do so well um, compared to what Justin Miriam has done in terms of attacking output. I'd like to have both of them there. I think Justin Miriam would be able to push Bello, and I think Bello in turn would be able to push Justin Miriam. Bello is still young. He still has developing to do. He's played some, some more game time recently with the twos. I still would like him to play more consistently with the twos because I still think he needs that experience but I think next year it's key for him to start playing those first team games. But I personally do not believe that it is in his best interest, nor is he ready to immediately assume the duties of being Atlanta United starting left back next season. That's fair. Uh, I think though, yeah, I mean, you know, why he was kind of pretty much left off from the kind of proceedings for the rest of 2019 with Atlanta United, uh, the first team, was that um, pretty much there is that uh, that competition, you know, for uh, you know him being part of the U.S. Uh, youth national team, and so yeah, definitely uh, they want to just kind of have the continuity of you know him being on LA United too and not bouncing back and forth, develop a little bit more, and so it's understandable. I think uh, you know I don't think it's Bello isn't fit because he has been playing pretty much uh, over the past month for LA United too. We need to have that really long-term injury from the beginning exactly. of the season through the middle of the season. Exactly, yeah. and so that's really the reasoning there. But uh, I think, you know, he definitely does play a large part next season because he is our out-and-out -out, uh, left back in terms of what we see as the future. And so it's just a matter of uh, getting him the game time, and it's just, a, you know, we'll, we'll see. But, I'm still uh, very much a believer of with him, his development has to be handled the right way and handled carefully, and especially with good young players. The best thing you can do is to slowly bleed them in, be able to have them surrounded by experienced players that can come in and out and not have them constantly in the firing line to where they can develop and grow in that confidence. I, I just, he was thrown in the deep end at Herdeon and performed horribly. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want, it's not saying that that can happen again, but I don't want him to be put in that position mm -hmm. again where there's so much pressure on him. So having another experienced player that's similar, like Justin Miriam, who can play that wing back mm -hmm. role, as we've seen, I think it's very important to have around him to kind of have that time right. and be able to, to really nurture him forward, you know, take them under their wing, one right. should say. And I think hopefully that we don't have like the kind of freak injuries that we've had at the left back position as well. Uh, next season, because I think you see a Mikey Ambrose play a larger part as well if he's still with the team, and then uh, even maybe a Jose Hernandez kind of play a larger part, even though he has been playing midfield for you know two uh, pretty much almost exclusively. So, uh, but either way, there still is depth there to kind of spell that. But next question comes from Big Spook Milo, very uh, October friendly username do you think that an informed joseph playing in every game of the season could beat 34 goals i'll keep this one short yes yeah absolutely he will because i think yeah as alluded to earlier the just motivation he doesn't really need much more motivation already and then the fact that the year after he broke the record and then set a record and then it gets broken you know he you know that he is going to be gunning for that as well as trying to win all the trophies and so uh yeah i mean i think we're gonna see some more uh hat tricks uh records being broken some 
just uh, ridiculous scoring streaks going because that's just who Joseph Martinez is. Hopefully he can stay healthy to do that. But uh, next question comes from Sam Valinas. Uh, would we rather play New Jersey Red Bulls or Lol. Philadelphia Union? LOL to New Jersey Red Bulls. Um, I'd personally rather play the, I mean, I'd rather play the Union only because we have that kind of bugbear with with the, with the Red Bulls, although they haven't been great this year. They got smashed by Montreal on decision day, which is really weird. They've had injury issues as well. So matchup wise, you would say the Red Bulls in terms of how the season went, mm -hmm. but it's just Red Bulls being Red Bulls and us having that hoodoo and I just feel that even though we lost 3-1 in Philadelphia and they've been a solid team so far this season, I feel that at home at Laniad, when we're healthy, when we're fit, when we have our rest, we're a better team than they are. So, I mean, you have to beat the good teams at some point in time. Yeah. I mean, I'd rather just play Philadelphia and you know, not even yeah. risk that whole thing with Red Bulls. Yeah, uh, I mean, especially, yeah, it's Philadelphia Union, that match, we were very much... Uh, I think, you know, in that game before they uh, scored their two goals. And so, yeah, I think it's one of those things where uh, I think if we have, you know, enough rest, which, I mean, it will be like three days, but it will be on the back of two weeks from the international break, uh, if it were. Yeah, I, I take our chances at home against the Philadelphia Union for sure. And so uh, definitely I would prefer that versus kind of the kind of Darby kind of, feeling of um you know playing the red bulls it's kind of like the like north london derby where you know it could be any uh sort of form going for uh both of the teams but that just goes right out the window because yeah red bulls they just play us tough no matter how bad or how good they are they just in the regular season it's been that but the playoffs different story but we still technically didn't yeah, uh, gonna beat them at Red Bull Arena, but either way. <laughs> so, yes, long story short, Union. Last question comes from Nichols Odeon. Is there a player who didn't play much during the season you see having a big role in the playoffs? Yes, and that player is Tito Bishaba because he spent almost all season being hurt or not being able to get into the team. I think he is an incredible player to be able to bring off the bench. He's just a game changer when he's fit, when he's confident, when he's healthy. He can run at players, he can make things happen, and he loves big moments as well. You can see with that yeah. third goal against Red Bulls last season. So I think, for me, I think he fits that bill in terms of who hasn't played a lot for me, it's Hito Vijalba. Yeah, I mean, he's the he's the game changer. He's uh, the super sub, and although he hasn't played like that maybe of late, I think the match before that, he definitely showed a lot more, uh, and he was showing that impetus. He was bombing down the left side as well. I think maybe if we can play maybe Tito on the right side a little bit where he's maybe slightly more comfortable, uh, it might kind of bode a little bit better. But I mean, you saw even in the New England Revolution match, I mean, he took, I think, three shots. I mean, uh, I think one of them was on target, but either way, I mean, he's having a shot whenever he's in the box. And so, you know, anytime you have a guy that's going to be uh, trying to make a difference, taking shots, uh, he's not afraid to pop one off from anywhere, yeah, I mean, you know, you kind of take your chances with that type of guy. So that does it for the mailbag and pretty much does it for the show, except for the question of the day. The question of the day is pretty simple, guys. How far do you think Atlanta United will make it into the playoffs? Get down in the comments below and let us know what you guys have to say. And guys, that's it for us today. Remember to subscribe to us if you haven't already. Share this episode and leave us a review and rating so we can pop up higher in your rankings. For Tanner, I'm AJ. Thanks so much for this.